You're about to listen to the second episode of the Latino Labs podcast. Don't forget to support us at patreon.com slash latinolabs. For glass blowing, we're using a, a propane flame. I've been in the same job for 25 years, and it's still fun to come to work every day. It's easy not to get bored when you're working on world-class science. Nobel Prize winning science. This is Latino Labs. My name's Alina, and I'm a PhD student in chemical physics. And I'm Gabo. I'm a PhD student in astrophysics. We at Latino Labs have decided to start a new series called Behind the Scenes in Science. We're going to talk about all the things that have to happen before scientists get to answer the questions that they would like to get to. Today we're going to talk about machine shops. A key component of science research that we often don't think or talk about. What is a machine shop? I've, I've I only went into one for the interview for this episode, so okay, you so, tell me. So a machine shop is a place where you build parts for your experiment. How is it like to make your own parts? It's definitely, there is definitely a learning curve. I've been working on building the same optical component for the past year. So, <laughs> I've never built anything. <laughs> and how's that working out for you? <laughs> it's working out great. <laughs> That's really cool. You don't, as a computational physicist, I, I just sit on my laptop and code all day. I send instructions to, to NASA's supercomputer and stuff, but I, I'm not making anything. So our first guest is someone who makes things for a living. He is one of the nicest, smartest, and most competent machine shoppers that I know. And I am Hans Green, an instrument maker at Jilla. Jilla is a world-renowned research institute for physics, chemistry, and all other kinds of physical sciences. And actually, we're recording here right now in Boulder, Colorado. So the first thing we ask Hans is to describe what a machine shop looks like. We have lots of different tools and equipment. And if you see a, a picture of a factory making cars, making most anything, we have similar kind of tools, but on a smaller scale. Um, we have machines for cutting uh, metals and plastics and glass and ceramic. Or the glass-blowing torch that you heard in the beginning of this podcast. So machine shops are cool, but researchers interact with them in a different way than Hans's experience has been. So we also talked to a friend of mine who's building things that go to space. Hi, so my name is Erica. I am a second-year graduate student in the Astrophysical and Planetary Sciences Department, and I work in the Ultraviolet Instrumentation Group. So she has a very similar experience to me, except her stuff goes to space. That's really cool. And we, we got to sit down with her and talk about the process that she goes through designing and building things as a user of the machine shop. So I would get in in the morning, and then I have to sit down. And if it's a new thing that I have to machine, I start to draw. Ugh, no, I'm, I'm really bad at drawing, and I'm glad my job description doesn't involve that. The first project that I did, it took me maybe a week or two to actually figure out how to put it together. Because I did not come from a design background, and so I had never designed anything before that actually needed to be built, that needed to serve an actual function for an experiment that I was doing. So it took me a really long time. I really empathize with her because it took me about a week or two to learn how to draw. It's weird because you know I, I have to doodle whenever or like make little cartoons about what's happening in the in the simulations that I'm running but I don't really have to build anything with those drawings they they only have to mean things to me and it's it's hard yeah yeah, yeah. it actually is because not only are you just drawing out your ideas but 
it has to be drawn out in a way that you communicate to another person what you actually want to build, what you actually want to see. So Erica and I spoke a little bit about her first design project. I needed to build a mount. My advisor, I went to him and it was my first design. So I'm like a kindergartner, like, look what I made. And he's like, so this is, this is okay. And so that was the first part I designed. I think it had like seven or eight different plates that all needed to be screwed together because it was like, oh, we need to get it to this height and we need to push it out here. But then I need another table that's a little further up to hold the polarizer. And then I need to have something that spins. It was a lot. It was very complicated. And you learn to simplify your design. The simpler, the better, because when you're building these things, you want it to be able to resist your experiment in the sense that the experiment can happen without it breaking apart. Many times you want this to be an experiment you can do years in the future. A lot of these projects are years, maybe even decades long, and so you want your original setup to be whole still, and that requires simple parts. So what's happened when you bring something to your advisor and he tells you you need to do it again? Well, you know, you're, you're, you're humbled. That's one. You, you're not as excited as you were when you, when first, you, pres- yeah, <laughs> when you first presented because you think, oh, look, look at me. I, I drew this thing that's never been drawn before. And then your advisor is just like, well, you know, based on my much longer experience, I know this isn't going to work for these reasons. So you go back and redraw. So you'd have to go back and redo the the design after fixing that. Yes. So most of the back and forth actually occur between me and the people at the machine shop. But how did they become machine shoppers? What do you do to get that position? I never had, I was never that into science itself. I enjoyed science classes in school, but I really liked uh, mechanical things. I liked taking things apart when I was a kid, working on my bicycle, working on engines. I went to college, and college was all right. I never found anything in college that I really wanted to do as a career. And I kind of drifted and quit school for a while and came back to school. And I was finishing a degree in history here at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I met someone that ran a machine shop in the engineering department. I really like the fact that he just kept trying things until he figured out what he wanted to do. I mean, I, I jumped around a little bit. I started off in biology, then I jumped to chemistry, and now I'm in physics doing engineering stuff. <laughs> and eventually got hired as a student worker, cleaning machines, uh, doing maintenance, pretty much just sort of odd jobs. This was a, sort of a revelation that you could do this kind of thing at a university. I really enjoyed it. I started learning more about machining, and then I applied for an apprenticeship in, this, in Jilla, and I did a, an apprenticeship, so it was on-the-job training for about three years. Um, so I really stumbled on that, on this as a, as a career choice. It's clear from listening to Hans that he really loves what he's doing and to know that there was lots of failure. You know, he was trying to be a history major for a while and ended up becoming... An instrument maker. He learned much of what he knows through an apprenticeship. So it's not, you know, a major that you have in college. Yeah, so after you're done with the with classes in the academic part, a PhD is almost like, like an apprenticeship. You're working one-on-one with your advisor, and there's really no class to teach you how to do an experiment or how to run your simulations. You just learn as you go. So Hans's profession is not 
that well known, but it's so important in all areas of science because to do experiments, you need instruments. He's really good at giving solutions to problems. I really enjoy that part of it because often they're really easy solutions to problems that seem really difficult. And sometimes it's the other way that the solutions are, are really difficult and we don't know how to do it. Hans and his coworkers have their fingerprints on every physics, chemistry, and biological experiment in this building. Yeah, and you know, some of them are like grad students' projects that'll get to be a thesis, and some of them get the Nobel Prize. We asked Hans about how he felt about his involvement in the 2001 Nobel Prize for the successful creation of a Bose-Einstein condensate. This was very early in my career when this department was doing some research that they eventually won a Nobel Prize for. One of the people that I worked with in the shop did a lot of work on those early experiments, and I learned some things from him and did some peripheral things on that. But those are the really difficult, challenging projects, and I was still doing the, the easier ones at that point. They're not that easy. This is really interesting. So I'm guessing it's not just the drawing part that goes bad sometimes. Sometimes you break what you made, and you have to go back and make more or order more. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, and uh, people break things all the time, and uh, but it's not for it's not for lack of care. It's just accidents happen, and um, mostly we want to make sure people are working safely. And we asked Erica if she had ever broken something. I did. Yeah, I broke um, a knife on the lathe. I got a drill bit stuck in one of the cylinders that I was hollowing out. And I thought, I thought that I got all the pieces of the drill bit stuck out in there, um, but I didn't. And then when I tried to lay that, uh, the tip of the knife hit that steel drill bit and the knife is also steel and yeah. it's you know spinning at a couple hundred RPM. And the knife ran into the drill bit and then the tip of the knife also broke off too. <laughs> Alrighty. I can't remember what I broke, but I know I break things. Luckily for me, I'm not making things. So whenever I break things, it's just my code. It just stops working and everything's fine. It must be so stressful to like be working on something and then bam, it's broken. It's like, whoop, there goes the last week's worth of work. Yes, it can be stressful, but it's rewarding when it works. And there's so much more to this work than these incidents. So we asked Hans to describe to us a typical day at work. Yeah, generally a typical day is I come in and check my email like a lot of people do and um, and then get down to working on, I usually have three or four projects going at any one time, maybe uh, one or two larger projects and then lots of little ones that, that we keep moving through the shop fairly quickly. And I'll spend most of the day at least coming back to those projects, but probably a good part of every day is spent just with people walking through the door and, as, and asking questions about small things. And so I'll help them with, uh, with smaller questions about uh, either how to, how to make something or uh, where to find a certain uh, type of material or to go down the lab and look at a leak in some plumbing. You know? So it's, it's always a diverse day, and I really uh, and I enjoy that. Um, I never know quite for sure what I'll be doing all day. And I bet this is why Hans is never bored when he comes into work. You know, he doesn't know what to expect. He gets to solve new and interesting problems every day, essentially. Every experiment is unique, and every experiment has a unique problem, which requires a unique solution. And most of the time, that solution involves bringing the pieces that you built with pieces that other people built. And, and while talking to Erica, she's putting together all the parts for her little satellite. It's a huge uh, bringing together 
of lots of different parts that you have ordered from other places that are made by other professionals. So this has been our first episode on our ongoing series, Behind the Scenes in Science. Today we talked about machine shops and why they're so important in the scientific process. From Jilla in Boulder, Colorado. This is Latino Labs. Boom. <laughs> Should I just end every episode with boom? The Latino Labs podcast is produced by me, Jorge Nicolás Hernández Charpac, with the help of Andrea Martón, Gabriel Ortiz Peña, Alina Margarita Mateo, Begoña Wadmajor, and Javier Orjuela Coop. And a big thank you to our external editor, Julia Baker Arquema. We want to thank Hans Green and Eric Kagan for their amazing interviews, and Jillian Strobe for letting us record there, as well as for understanding that communicated science is an integral part of being a scientist. The music you heard is from Space Boys. They're about to drop their album. So once they do, we'll make sure we share. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And we have a website now. So you can visit us as latinolabs.org or latinxlabs.org. And don't forget to support our project at patreon.com slash latinolabs.